This mortal coil. As you'd know, if you're a regular listener on a Sunday night, this mortal coil is a chance for us to explore ideas about religion, philosophy and ethics and learn how other Australians think and the rules by which they live their life. And this week we're exploring what's said to be the world's youngest religion, Baha'i. Around 20,000 Australians follow the Baha'i faith. It's one of the most widely spread religions around the world. There are about 5 million Baha'is from a diverse range of cultures and backgrounds. Now, Anton Jones is a fourth generation Baha'i. He's a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of Baha'is in Australia and is here in the Nightlife studio with me. Hello, Anton. Welcome. Good evening, Suzanne. It's lovely to be here. So tell me about the origin of the Baha'i faith. Well, the Baha'i faith began uh, with, uh, based on the teachings of, a, of a, the son of a Persian nobleman. Uh, he took the title Baha'u'llah, which is a, an Arabic phrase meaning the glory of God. And uh, he, he spent his, his early life um, tending to the poor, uh, looking for the, to, to uplift the needy in the area that he lived, uh, and uh, really uh, at in the face of sort of significant social change in Iran at that time, began to teach about, I guess, what is the fundamental principle, the goal and you could say operating principle of the Baha'i faith, which is the, the, the oneness of humankind, that, that really we all are one people. And so therefore unity is the most important uh, element. And so every, all the teachings really flow from there. Everything comes from there. So in those, that was in uh, the, the mid-19th century and it's sort of grown and spread from there. Now, had he previously been practicing a, a different religion? Can this uh, can Baha'i said to be an offshoot of another religion, or did he have some kind of, as Muhammad you know, received messages from 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 God, was there some kind of revelation? Certainly, he had a, a revelation. The 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 uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it is, of course, Iran is a, a Muslim country. It was a Muslim country at the time. He was raised in uh, in Islam, um, but. Uh, as a precursor to him was a, a, another important figure in the Baha'i faith, the prophet, uh, who took the title the Bab or, or Gate. Uh, and his faith really talked about a renewal of religion, or in fact, and fulfilled a number of prophecies from Islam. Um, Baha'u'llah um, followed his teachings initially and uh, in, in response to some fairly vicious persecution of the followers of the Bab, he was imprisoned in a... Uh, really in a dungeon in, in Tehran. Uh, and during that period of time, he had a, had a revelation. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that uh, period, uh, it was revealed to him that he was uh, to bring this new faith um, to, to culminate a number of the prophecies of the religions of the past uh, and uh, to, to, to continue what Baha'is refer to as progressive revelation, this, this ongoing religion of God that's revealed over time and to bring the latest chapter of that uh, to humanity. It wasn't for another 10 years after he'd been exiled from Iran to, to Baghdad in what's now Iraq uh, that he actually revealed uh, that this, this uh, or told others of this mm. revelation that he had received. And from there, the, the Baha'i faith began. Okay. So in the same way that Christianity and Judaism and Islam all relate to each other, uh, Baha'i is part of that, that family? Absolutely. In fact, um, this, this 
this teaching, this notion of the oneness of humanity is also accompanied by the idea of the oneness of God. There is one God, an unknowable essence, uh, that, that will never leave humanity alone and periodically sends these divine teachers to, to help us with the needs at that particular time. So mm. Krishna, Buddha, Zarasta, uh, the Bab, um, Muhammad, Christ, Moses, these are all part of, uh, not in that order, but they're all <laughs> part of this uh, this progressive revelation bringing uh, new teachings that apply to the needs of the society at that time. And, of course, you know, if you look at all of these religions, their fundamental teachings are the same. The notion yeah. of the golden rule is the same. Uh, but the needs of a society as humanity develops, as it matures, uh, of course change. And uh, just like the human body, just as, as humans develop uh, over time, uh, so does the need of a society as a whole and the, the, the spiritual teachings that are relevant to it change too. So, so when um, the Baha'i faith was developed then, how were its teachings different to the those teachings that had gone before it? How did it adapt to the world that it was developing in? Well, the teachings, of course, for the time that they were revealed were quite radical. Uh, now, of course, we would look at someone and say, well, they're quite obvious. Mm. So uh, probably the most uh, the most obvious of those is the equality of men and women, uh, this being a, a fundamental teaching of the Baha'i faith. In fact, a reality, Baha'is would say, a spiritual reality of, of humanity, um, but something which up until that point in time had not been explicitly taught uh, in the religions of the past. Uh, and so that was that's one example. Another, for example, is a removal of all prejudice, the idea mm. that the that, you know, one uh, creed or class or race was superior to another is completely uh, against the teachings of the Baha'i faith. So, so this, this, while there had been notions of this in the religions of the past, these, a number of these things were, were documented and uh, really formed the fundamental principle. Another is, for example, the idea that, um, that there is no clergy in the Baha'i mm-hmm. faith. So uh, while clergy tended to emerge later in the development of religion, in the Baha'i faith it was explicitly stated from the outset that there was no clergy uh, and that instead the affairs of the community would be administered by those elected um, to do so by the, by the body of believers. I've got Anton Jones here, a fourth generation Baha'i and a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia. And if you've got any questions, uh, perhaps you've never heard of the Baha'i faith and you think, what's all this about? And you'd like to know more, you can send me an SMS 0467 922 or you can call one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Is there a, a book, a, a kind of a, a version of the, the scriptures or the, you know, the Torah or the Koran? Uh, this is one thing that is remarkable about this faith. Again, being relatively new, uh, of course, the access to to, uh, to information is uh, that much more readily available. So Baha'u'llah revealed hundreds of volumes of books. Uh, there are certain uh, texts. So there is, for example, one that is the most holy book, which is a book of laws. Uh, there is uh, There are other major works. But in addition to that, there are hundreds of other texts, letters, tablets that were written to many people at the time. So um, a, a vast vast ocean uh, of, of revelation in, uh, as part of this faith. Okay. So if you're a child and you're being brought up in the faith, what are you going to be reading? Well, okay. So we, the, the approach for children really, first and foremost, is this idea that we have a twofold moral purpose. So you might read something that might be developed for a child. There might be prayers uh, that have been revealed that are suitable for children, maybe simpler language or shorter prayers or these sorts of things. Uh, and, and as you learn about your twofold moral purpose, what is this? This is the idea that we have a responsibility not only to develop our own character, to develop spiritually, but also to be of service to those around us. Mm-hmm. So from a very young child, they'll be taught that, that this is, that you must, you know, 
you pray, you develop yourself spiritually, you develop virtues and good qualities, but also you assist others, maybe those who are less fortunate, maybe others who are just simply in need or just being a, a useful person within your community. So that starts very young and that is developed further in for young youth. They receive, they have programs that, again, have simplified texts which enable mm-hmm. them to explore elements of, uh, of the revelation which uh, then enable them to be able to exercise this twofold moral, moral purpose, develop their powers of expression, uh, give them the capacity to be to make a useful contribution to their to their society, uh, and so on. And then for for youth and for adults, of course, that you know that just steps up to mm. a to a more complex level. Mm. And, and so, Anton, out of um, Iran, how did the Baha'i faith spread? Uh, initially, slowly, and then very rapidly. So, uh, in, in the first sort of. 10, 15, 20 years of the of the revelation. It was really only Iran, uh, Iraq, later parts of Turkey, uh, into the various other parts of the Middle East. Uh, from there to India, uh, and quite early on in uh, the early 20th century to the United States. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was from the United States that the faith came to Australia. So in 1920, uh, two elderly Baha'is from uh, the, San- the Bay Area around San Francisco came to Australia uh, with uh, really just the clothes on their back and about 10 pounds in their pocket. And, and uh, from there, the Australian Baha'i community was born. So um, Baha'is really had this, this, have this notion that this revelation is for all, is for everyone. Um, it's uh, uh, it's offered um, as as a gift and can be accepted or not. You know, it's really mm. up to each individual. There's no sort of sense of coercion or or judgment. It's really just offered as a as as an opportunity for people to explore their spiritual lives. And so Baha'is will in those days would would travel. They would move to other countries and they would offer the faith there. And from there, the, those who were interested would. When you say offer the faith, are we talking sort of door knocking or what are you? No, are you conversations talking? in. Yeah. In uh, natu- the natural conversations that take place within within the society, they might be members of clubs in the society, or they might meet. Then they might be walking along the street and have a conversation with their neighbours. Mm-hmm. It's not a sort of a, a formal program of it, but rather a very natural way of engaging with their neighbours. Yeah, and so if someone decides they do want to become Baha'i, is there a, a formal conversion process? So the. the there is the capacity to formally enrol as a Baha'i to to say this is the I'm willing I wish to follow these laws uh, I'm willing to uh, to live my life as a Baha'i I'm willing to accept the authority of Baha'i institutions that's certainly a, a process but really in some cases much later in the process it can be quite quick for some mm. people they, that's what they want and that happens very quickly for others they'll be engaged in the in the work of the Baha'i community in building vibrant communities in seeking to 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 strengthen the the neighbourhood that they live in and to connect. People people in a, in a more unified way. Uh, so for them, maybe they just work, they do those good works. But for others, they really want to make a, a stronger commitment and to participate more, more fully in the life of the community. So tell me about your own family, um, because I think it was actually back in the 1920s, wasn't it, that your family converted? That's right. So my my grandmother's uh, aunt, in fact, was the first behind my family. I'll um, say her name, Lucy Truman. She's a um, you know, somebody who I would really, I feel very uh, grateful to. Um, and so, she, what, what did your family religion been prior to that? Uh, they were Methodists, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and she was she, she was very active in the Rosicrucians um, and uh, and the Theosophical Society, and really interested in new ideas about religion. And uh, and a speaker came from America. And uh, she was present at that uh, that particular gathering and decided that this is something that she that she wanted to be. And then and then later in the 1950s, my my you know, grandmother and my grandfather, who was a Methodist lay preacher, they were very very firm, committed Methodists, uh, decided in fact that this was the path they wanted to go, and and from there on. 
What do you think it was that, that said, actually, we're not going to be Methodists anymore. We really we want to take up the Baha'i faith. Look, that's a, that's a really good question because obviously it was a, it was kind of a radical thing to do in yeah. you know in sort of nineteen fifties Australia to say in you know this is in the Adelaide Hills you know to say we'll do something that's this Middle Eastern religion what's that about but I think what they saw in the Baha'i teachings was uh, the, the essence of what they believed as Methodists that that really you know that that all humanity is one uh, that that we should treat all uh, with dignity and respect and uh, and we should work to serve our community um, and this is something they were they were very much committed to mm-hmm. so if, if religion from the middle east but its adherents in australia today are are they many people of a mid, middle eastern background or is there you know a cultural group that tends to be more attracted look I, our experience is that this, there are Baha'is from everywhere. In fact, mm-hmm. if you go to an international gathering of Baha'is, it is the most beautiful sea of, of humanity, the people from everywhere. Certainly there are a number of uh, Baha'is in Australia from an Iranian background, mm-hmm. simply because uh, following the revolution, the Islamic revolution in Iran, and the Australian government was very generous in its acceptance of Baha'i refugees. Uh, of course, the Baha'i faith is persecuted in Iran and Baha'is uh, lack a number of human rights in that country. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a, a number of families were able to come under either family reunion or under the, the humanitarian programs of the Australian government. And so they form a very strong and very important part of our community. But the community itself is really quite diverse and it depends where you are in the world. In, there's very large communities in Africa and in India uh, and in the United States and Canada uh, as well as in the Middle East and across Europe. Uh, I've got Anton Jones here, fourth generation Baha'i and member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia. So there's no clergy. So how does the whole thing operate? Is is there a, a version of church where you go? Do you go weekly? Talk me through it. Yeah, so the, we have a gathering uh, every Baha'i month. Uh, Baha'i mm-hmm. month is 19 days. There are 19 of them, uh, and uh, the there, which of course leaves four days left over at the end of a year, which is a period of celebration, uh, intercalary days uh, that uh, that occurs in between the year. Do you know why there are 19 days? Um, well, this was this was a, a calendar that was put together by the Barb. It actually started. It starts on the vernal equinox in the northern hemisphere. Um, why nineteen? Nineteen is a is a number of significance. I have to tell you, I am not an expert in the numerology of it. I understand. <laughs> yeah. in, in, I know in in, uh, in Islam and in and with Arabic numerals, there's a lot of connection between the the numerical values of things, and so I understand there's a there's a linkage there. Um, but uh, on the first day of every Baha'i month. There is uh, what we call the feast or the 19-day feast, mm-hmm. and that's a community gathering where people come together. There's, there's a devotional section, reading of prayers and, and sacred writings, a time to discuss the business matters of the community, the sorts of things that are going on, uh, to interact with the Baha'i institutions, to ask questions or to receive guidance, and then a, a fellowship, an opportunity to, to gather together and, and to, be a, to be a community. And so that happens every, every 19 days. So that's probably in some ways... A bit like church, but then there are other gatherings like uh, like a pure devotional meeting where families might gather together or neighbours might gather together to, to say prayers and read from the writings. And say, um, is there a version of a christening? Uh, don't have any any sort of form of christening. The, 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 the notion for Baha'is is that uh, basically there is this notion that we are that the recipients of all good from God, our souls are connected to God and we start as inherently good. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And the purpose across our life is to really uncover the virtues that are hidden within us, uh, and which is predominantly done through education. So, you know, this, this idea of, a, of needing, for example, to be cleansed or anything like this at the beginning is not really something that sort of fits with that idea. The idea is that we're already good and really just we just need to be educated and developed and hence those programs I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Are there other rituals? We don't have really of any rituals right. at all. In fact, the colour and, and the, the interest in the Baha'i community really comes from the diversity of the people. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, we, do, we do have, uh, for example, we have an electoral process for our, um, for our um, Baha'i institutions, which, is, which, for example, that electoral process has no nominations. Uh, there's no electioneering. Uh, the community itself just looks around and sees those people who are, who are over the age of 21 uh, who fulfil certain qualities. And, and the ones who best combine those qualities are the ones that they vote for for. Uh, and those friends who are then uh, elected um, are, are duty-bound to serve to the, to the community and do so to the best of their ability. So you could be elected without nominating. Absolutely. And then you have to do it. Well, you don't, if there are reasons, if you're yeah. health or your family, of course, you know, if you can't do it. But, but generally speaking, yeah, the expectation is that you will, you will accept the trust of the community, that the, the trust of the community is placed in you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jess just saying there's a spectacular Baha'i temple in Ingleside on the northern beaches. Now, for most of the country, is there a specific gather- place of, of, of worship? I mean, is a temple uh, standard? In fact, the, the temple, we're very fortunate in Australia. Um, the the, the uh, Baha'i House of Worship at, yeah, at Ingleside here in Sydney is um, a a gift really from the Baha'i community to all of the community. It's not a, we don't have churches or particular places, but this is open to anyone to come and gather. And in fact, it's one of only eight continental houses of worship in the world. So we're, we're very fortunate to have, uh, to have that here in Sydney. And it is a very beautiful building, uh, um, dedicated in 1962. It's been across my entire life, a, a beacon uh, that we go to. And I get, I'm fortunate to be able to go there regularly, uh, but it's open to anyone. Anyone can go and can sit and meditate, pray, like- just Non-Baha'is? Anybody, yeah. yeah. It's welcome. To, it's open to all. Uh, and, in fact, we welcome anyone to come who wishes to just enjoy the gardens or to sit in the house of worship itself. Uh, no obligations and uh, certainly uh, something that they are free to do. Yeah. Uh, Anton Jones is here, who's a fourth-generation Baha'i, a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia. So how do you raise money? Is there a, 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 a tithe? This is actually another really beautiful thing. So, so uh, Baha'is, the only uh, Baha'is have a Baha'i fund, and mm-hmm. uh, the only people who can contribute to that are Baha'is. So you asked before about can you formally enrol mm. uh, and what, you know, what's that process? And those who are formally enrolled can contribute to Baha'i funds. Uh, that's really the only funds we have access to. And there is the, the principle basically is that each person is obligated to give, but the amount that they give is not for anybody else to say, and uh, there's no, there can be no pressure applied to them. They're supposed to give sacrificially and commensurate with their means. What that looks like is really left to each individual. What's the most common question you get asked about being Baha'i? Oh, that's a, that's a, I get asked lots of questions. I, I guess um, sometimes I'll get asked the question about what does it mean or what can you, what can you do or what you can't do, what, yeah. what restrictions so what are, the are there, what are the rules. And generally speaking, well, I'd like to talk about that more as, well, how does this free you up? So take, for example, because we choose to be Baha'is and mm. nobody's, nobody obligates you to do it, um, you make a decision about, well, why would I choose? Why, it's like, why would I go to the gym? I go to the gym because I want to feel better. Now, do I always love going to the gym? No. Do I like everything that's involved in the exercises? Sometimes I'm sore afterwards? Yes. 
but I know that in the long run, this is better for me. So, so these things, the, we have certain teachings which, are, for example, abstain from alcohol, don't yeah. take drugs, these sorts of things, which are about our physical health but also about our spiritual health, are predominantly uh, for, for the, the strengthening of our character and, and the, the, the health of ourselves and for our families and our society. Okay, so uh, obey the laws of the land, I think. Um, now, interestingly one, no participation in partisan politics, I saw. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting concept, and and it's the idea is that I said at the start that our operating principle is the oneness of humanity, and that everything is really about unity. So while there are many challenges that require robust debate, the idea that such debates where we take sides and we we have partisan arguments uh, are often make solving these problems challenging. Instead, we take an approach that says we want a we want a variety of views, we want a robust consultation but with the principle that we will be united in the solution that we find. So whatever the final decision is, once, the, once we've had the discussions, we'll all back the decision uh, in unity. And then if it's wrong, that'll become obvious because everyone's backed it. Instead of it being wrong and you're not sure, well, was it because nobody supported it or was it because it was actually the wrong thing? So this idea of unity and using consultation as a tool for solving problems rather than taking sides and arguing about it is the reason that we abstain from partisan politics. Can you give me an example of how that would work within the faith? Yeah, so I mean, it might be any particular challenge. Um, let's say we need to, let's say we're building a house of worship yeah. or something and we want to have a piece of land where we want to raise money in a particular way. There may be many ideas about the best way to do that. Some people will have strong views about how it should done should be done. And of course, they're free to state those views. But ultimately, the idea of consultation is we listen to the majority. So we consult together, we raise all the ideas, we listen to all the things that, that might be, all the ideas that come together. And then the, once a decision has been made by the majority, once we get an idea that has majority support, then that is then supported by, by the whole. So we're going to build it in Sydney. We're going to have this particular design. These might be the sorts of sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, it's all just so so interesting when you don't know very much about it. So, what if you had a child who wanted to marry outside of the faith? Would that be frowned upon? Not at all. No, no. In fact, there are many many Baha'is who uh, who marry outside of the faith. Mm. Um, it's uh, not at all uncommon. Uh, and in fact, again, our, our, we are an outward looking faith. You know, we really we seek to get engage with the community around us. So it'd be quite normal. Mm. So uh, building communities, really important. And without the partisan politics, does that mean that you would, would you get involved in politics? Well, it depends what you mean by politics. Yeah. Would, would you we... stamp for political office? No, we would not. No, because right. in this country, at least, that requires a degree of partisanship. Right. Yeah. But would we would we consult on matters of social import? Absolutely. We make submissions to Senate inquiries. We participate mm-hmm. in those processes of government. We will consult with government. Absolutely. We're well-wishers of government. We're, we're obedient to the laws of the land. Uh, but we'll contribute in a way which we see is will strengthen unity rather than... than increasing mm. conflict. Uh, Anton, what about um, holy days, religious holidays? Mm. Do you have those? Yeah, we do. We have uh, a number. We actually have uh, nine that we suspend work on uh, and they are usually the the births or the, the deaths of the significant figures in mm-hmm. the faith. Um, uh, we also have Nowruz, of course, which is a, an ancient Iranian uh, holiday, but it's also the first day of the Baha'i New Year uh, and that's coming up um, and that finishes our period of fasting that we're currently in. So at the end of that, we have the, this, this holy day, Nowruz, 
is is a, a Persian word that means literally means new day, the beginning of uh, of a new year. So these are they're held sort of across the year, and as I say, there are nine of them that we suspend work on. Yeah, what's an example of a prayer that moved you recently? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, Well, I'll just give you the first couple yeah. of lines. This is a prayer from Baha'u'llah. He says, um, creating me a pure heart, O oh my God, and renew a tranquil conscience within me, O oh my hope. Through the spirit of power, confirm thou me in thy cause, O oh my best beloved. And it goes on like this. It's this notion of tranquility and, uh, and confirmation. Mm. Now, I understand there's some fasting involved. Yeah. When does yes. that happen? Yeah. So that's right now. So we're in uh, in the ah. middle of the fasting period right now. Uh, is that an annual thing, or does this it go is, in the yes right? the, the last behind month uh, of every year? We we fast from uh, sunrise, so when the the sun actually peaks over the, the horizon until until sunset, um, and uh, we abstain from food and drink during that period of time. It's really a, 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 an opportunity of spiritual renewal and, and refreshment. Um, I must quite admit, quite similar to Ramadan. Very similar, way. shorter than Ramadan, right. nineteen days instead of forty, and from sunrise to sunset rather than sun up until sundown, but a similar principle. Uh, and I must say for myself, you know, when I was younger, I would dread its coming. Now that I'm older, I actually really look forward to it. It's a wonderful renewal at the end of the year. Mm. Christmas, Easter, I mean, do they, they wouldn't pop up on the Baha'i calendar, would they? Or no, how, they how don't. Would they no, they don't. But we certainly respect the, especially yeah. in this country, you know, these are very important uh, times of the year and we're, we're very respectful of those. But um, no, we don't, we don't uh, sort of commemorate or celebrate those ourselves. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Actually, I am going to ask this because someone has has texted in. Um, views on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Yeah, look, these are really questions for the society as a whole. You know, as I said, we, we really consider, for example, when the plebiscite was being held, this was really an opportunity for Australians to have their say on that. So that's uh, not something that we seek to impose views on others and something we're very respectful of. Respectful of same-sex marriage? Respectful of the society to be able to determine what mm. what marriage is. It's not something we seek to impose. Yeah. But is that part of the the, the, the rules of, of Baha'i? Because I understand sex before marriage is very much discouraged. Well, there's certainly the idea of, of chastity and this idea that marriage is a fortress for well-being that really enables mm. us to be able to, to strengthen the family. Of course, these, these, this is a, a fairly standard view. Uh, but we, as I say, we don't... People who choose to become Baha'is do so entirely of their own free will. Yeah. We really don't seek to impose it. A viewer, take it, have an opinion uh, and impose that on anyone. Yeah. Uh, is there something you would say in, in, in closing, if you were I don't know, leaving a Baha'i gathering to someone? Uh, well, we say Allahapa, which means uh, that God is the all-glorious. Um, so this is a, so a, it's a, an Arabic phrase. We might yeah. say that. Um, but uh, and may I say today that really it's just been such a joy to be here and Allahapa to everybody. We'd love to welcome you to come to the House of Worship or to the Baha'i community in your area. Um, Anton, thanks so much for coming into the Nightlife Studio and talking to us about the Baha'i faith tonight. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's Anton Jones. Anton is a fourth generation Baha'i and a member of the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Australia. You're on Nightlife. This is Nightlife with Suzanne Hill.